morning. It's been some time. I think it's about 15, 16 years since I've been back. It's very rare for me to be invited back anywhere, so I'm very, very, very grateful to be anywhere. I said to Bernard on the way in, you get invited to Billericay twice, once on the way up and once on the way down. It's good to be back. So, um, for those of you who haven't got a clue who I am, because there will be new faces here, some that I don't recognise at all, I was once the, the senior pastor here. Uh, when I was here, I had two little daughters, one called Emily, one called Annie, and I had one wife, I've still got the same wife, Karen, um, and I, I, I'm very grateful to this church, uh, I really am. This, this church, I came here when I was 22, I was passionate about my faith, but I was wrestling with the idea of church, and I was working as a salesman in a bank, and, and I, I came here, and the church gripped hold of me, and uh, within a very short time, I became a student pastor, and, and the church gave me an opportunity to exercise my fidgety nature, and then for a time, I was youth pastor, and then um, came to support Bob Allen in this congregation, and became senior pastor before I left. And this church, just to say, there are various founding stories around most institutions, but one of the founding stories of this church was that it would raise up people who would then go out and preach the gospel. And that's been my story, that you got hold of me and I went out and preached the gospel. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Uh, basically, I am a communicator of the message of Jesus Christ. I am a three-trick pony. These days, I either talk about the poor, I talk to men, or I preach Jesus Christ. I am useless at anything else. So you're going to get one of those three things this morning. Um, my daughters have now grown up, obviously. Uh, Emily is nearly 24. Uh, for those that you remember back in the day, Annie is uh, 23 next year. Uh, Annie is training to be a vet. She's in the final year of veterinary college at the Royal Veterinary College, the world's most prestigious veterinary college, actually. My other daughter is a tattoo artist. How can you, how can you bring them both up the same? And one is a super academic, and the other one lives in Narnia. How, how does that even happen? She's 90% ink and metal. I worry that if I take a piercing out, she'll fall apart on the floor. So that's, that's us, and I live in a place called Staveley in Derbyshire. There are two Staveleys in the UK. There's a Staveley in the Lake District with clotted cream tea shops and rolling hills and beautiful lakes and scenery. And then there's Staveley in Derbyshire, which is a slightly battered ex-mining community where we have based our headquarters for something else I do called Edge Ministries. So I'm not going to talk about that now, but, but essentially what I do is lead a national movement, in fact a bit overseas too, in the poorest communities in the UK. We plant churches and work with churches to bring Jesus to the poorest communities in the UK. In the one that I now live, I left me Victorian pile in the posh side of town and I moved into an extremely uh, deprived community uh, a bit of time ago. Uh, when we moved there, there were 20,000 people in this community, 45% illiteracy, 35% of kids are under the poverty line. Uh, you live 30 years uh, less without chronic ill health, just three miles west of you, you live 30 years longer healthy, and you live 10 years longer in entirety, and there are less than 60 people going to church, out of 20,000 people. And we are proliferating mission uh, in those communities all across the UK, 
and I absolutely love it because it means I get to duck and dive and cause mayhem. So that's essentially what I do and what I'm involved in. Um, I've got a couple of things I'm going to share with you uh, this morning and we're going to break bread together. I, I, as I said, am an out-and-out gospel guy. You know, in Norbert's prayer, there are enough issues to be going at there. As Norbert said, you could pray all day. And there is a lot of fear. People are worried about mortgage interest rates, are they going to bosh above 6%? What about food inflation? One in four people, even with the measures that have been introduced, won't be able to heat their homes. There is, I would contend, quite a bit of fear out there. Let me remind you this morning that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, is the only game changer. The message of Jesus Christ is the only message and the only solution to the ills out there. And I'll keep banging that drum for as long as I've got a drum to bang. And even if I haven't got a drum to bang, I'll find something to bang. Because it's all we've got. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ will change both your life and your destiny. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ will will deliver people from fear and anxiety and all the issues that are surrounding us at the moment. Do you believe that? I hope you really do. I hope you really believe that this morning with all your passion and with all your strength because it's all we've got. There's a beautiful verse in the Bible. In fact, there's quite a number. But there's a really beautiful verse in the Bible which is very good for a man like me. It says this in 1 Corinthians 2. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. Praise God. That's me. Dagenham boy I was. I was born in Dagenham, or Dagenham as we prefer to call it around here, I understand. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We would do very well in our churches to get this back front and centre with passion. I came to you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling. My speech and preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. And how much do we need now to be God's people who rely on the power of God and the truth of the gospel? I hope you really believe that again with all your hearts. A few years ago, as part of what I do, I travel around a bit, speaking to anyone who will listen to me, to be honest, and I, I found myself in Belfast quite a few times. And on one occasion, I was sitting in a living room in Belfast with two fellas. One had been a member of the Royal Ulster Constabulary, when it was called that, it's now the Police Service in Northern Ireland, but back in the days, the IUC, and he had been in some undercover terrorist hunting unit. And the other person sitting in this little living room in Belfast was an ex-member of the provisional IRA. They're sitting there together. And in fact, they were praying together. How amazing is this? And one of them said to me, the guy who was in the RUC said, we used to hunt each other on the streets of Belfast, but now we pray together. I said, how could that be? He said, well, we're on the men's breakfast planning committee. (laughs) And I said, how did you get on that? He said, he said, well, I met Jesus, and then he met Jesus, and then we met in the men's breakfast, and now we're brothers in Christ. How does that happen? That does not happen because of a Paul McKenna self-hypnosis book. It doesn't. It doesn't happen because you listen to a good podcast. It doesn't happen because you got some book out of W.H. Smith's and read it and thought, well, that would change my thoughts for a week. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Only the gospel will change your life and your destiny to such a degree. That is so powerful. And we don't hear that in the news. But that is going on all over the world. I'll share a couple of stories with you. On another occasion, I was, I was travelling all over the Netherlands, uh, trying to shake it up a little bit and start some evangelistic ministry. Uh, and at the time, my wife Karen was my PA. And she, she used to just organise all my diary, and then I'd open my phone, and it would tell me in quite meticulous detail where to go, how to dress, what to say, what to do. I mean, quite a short lead, really, uh, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, anyway, uh, so I, I travelled all up and down the Netherlands, then I found myself back at Schiphol Airport, and I opened my diary, and it said, fly home, flight details, um, get changed, go to Barrow on Saw. Now, I'd been, I'd been away for 10 days, and Karen is now telling me I've got to get home from East Midlands Airport, because I live near Chesterfield, or Ches Vegas, as I prefer to call it. <laughs> get home, have enough time for a shower, and then go out and speak at a men's curry night, the same day I go back after being away for 10 days. When your wife is your PA and she says that, either you are in the doghouse or it's the Lord. So I was a little bit fed up and I phoned her up from Ski Popo and said, why have I got to go to Barrow on Sword tonight? She said, I felt the Lord wants you to go. That is such a high and mighty answer that you cannot argue when someone says that. And it's your wife and she plays the God card. So I'm, I'm a bit grumpy. It was a curry night in Barrow on Saw. Curry is the new quiche in Christendom. Everywhere you go on a men's night, it's curry. I'm fed up with it. So I'm looking at this thing, oh, go on, So I said to Curry, where's Barrow on Saw? And it was, has anyone ever been there? Yeah. Why? <laughs> it's got nothing. We'll talk, you've got a warehouse there. Goodness sake. Well, I'm going to tell you what else was there. So Barrow on Saw has a, a warehouse for a German toy company, apparently. And it had, a, it had a, a curry house, a pub and a canal. It's a tiny little village. So I drive down there and I'm a little bit moany in my head. And I pull up, go into the curry house. I'm always early for everything. Always. Fastidiously. And I turned up, there's about 20 tables and the organiser's there. I said, hello, it's Beachy. Says what most people call me unless I'm in trouble. Says, Beachy, come to us. He said, oh, great to have you here. I said, wait a I said, it's a bit short book, short notice booking. What do you want me to do? He said, preach the gospel. I said, fantastic. How many non-Christians are coming? He went, oh, no, they're all believers. <laughs> I thought, oh, no. I said, what's on the menu? He said, chicken booner and a naan bread. I said, what if you don't like chicken booner? He said, you have a naan bread. <laughs> so I'm getting, I'm, getting, I'm getting miserable. I'm going down. Anyway, long story short, because of time, I sit there, I've got my chicken booner, <laughs> I've got a Diet Coke, and this bloke walks in called Gasky, and Gasky was one of my staff at Christian Vision for Men. He was an ex-counter-terrorist police officer who looks like a pit bull bitten by a wasp. Honestly. You know, he, he really does. He likes it when I say that. And he came in, all sort of gnarly. I've got photos of all these people, I'm just not projecting today. And then... He walked in with a bloke who looked like Jaws the Bond villain. <laughs> Seriously, I've got his photo. A big, hulking, menacing bloke. He sat down with him and went, All right, Gasky, didn't know you were coming tonight. He said, This is my mate Chris. I went, Hello, Chris. And Chris went, 
I thought, brilliant, top night. Anyway, I said to the bloke, how long have I got to speak? He went, ten minutes now. Ten minutes! Come all the way from the Netherlands, ten minutes for a naan bread. No boon, I ate it. Anyway, so I stood up to speak, ten minutes, preached the gospel. I talked about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus in ten minutes. No stories, no humour. Jesus died, he saved you, he shed his blood for you, he deals with shame and guilt and pain, and then he rose again after three days, blah, 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 sat down. Ten minutes. Said to Chris opposite, I went, what do you think of that? He went, nah. went, great. Went to the little bar to get another Diet Coke for the drive home, and this bloke follows me. Now, I am five foot eight and a half. The half is very important for some of us. This bloke's about six foot two, six foot three. So he's, he's leaning over me, and he says, can your Jesus forgive anybody then? I mean, of course he can. He went, how does he do that? I went, didn't you listen to me talk? <laughs> did. And he went, yeah, I did, didn't make any sense. I thought, well, that's, that's familiar. <laughs> so he said, how does it work? So I told him again how Jesus died and took our pain and carried our sorrows and all that stuff. He went, so he can forgive anybody? I went, yeah, he went, can he forgive a Nazi? Killed Jews. I went, of course he can. He can forgive anybody. There is not one person, I said, looking him in the eye, there's not one person that's beyond the forgiveness of Christ. There's nothing the cross can't overcome. Nothing. Otherwise it has no power, nothing. And his eyes filled with tears and he stormed out. Gasky, if you ever meet him, you get him here for a men's breakfast or something, he came over and he's literally like Tigger. He's going like this, he's going, significant, very significant, very significant conversation. Eh? Significant, very significant. Literally, it's significant. That's how he speaks. Someone said to him, such an accurate, such an accurate impression. Very significant. I go, what's significant? He went, he's a general in a neo-Nazi terrorist movement who was arrested at gunpoint, planting a pipe bomb. I said, you could have told me if I got back in his face. Couldn't you? I said, what's he doing in Barrow on Saw? He said, well, he's in a government safe house. Now, apparently, until I told the story, that's where the government safe house is, were they? In Barrow on Saw. Including, and, and a German toy factory warehouse. So, there you go. I, don't, I think only one of those two things remains now. Anyway, the next morning, turns out that Chris leaves the safe house and he's prowling the streets of Barrow on Saw and he finds a little Baptist church and he goes into the Baptist church and the Baptist minister's doing his Baptist minister type things. I was one back in the day, I'm not now. And, and he's doing his like UCB notes or whatever they do. And, he, and this guy walks in, finds him in the office, and taps him on the shoulder. And he goes, I heard about Jesus last night. Is it true? Now, you imagine, you're the Baptist minister, barrel and saw, quietly going about your kingdom business, and this hulking, menacing bloke leans over and says, is it true? And he turns around, thankfully he's a good one who knew the Lord, and he turned around and he said, it is true. And Chris gave his life to Jesus. And not only that, within 18 months of giving his life to Jesus, this guy who was arrested at gunpoint and was in a government safe house and was a dangerous extremist, preached the gospel to 1,500 school kids on Holocaust Memorial Day. How about that? Isn't that incredible? It's absolutely amazing. And when he came to the gathering, I do this little thing called the gathering, which is a men's festival. It's like Top Gear meets Songs of Praise. And when I said that... He came. He was the first man out of his chair to pray for people who came to Christ. And the first person he prayed for was a black bloke. And the reason I say that is, he sent a rifle bullet to black media personalities and threatened their lives. And now he's there leading them to Christ and hugging them and weeping with them. 
Only the gospel, Jesus Christ will do that. No self-help book, no Paul Mechanicals, not, not some astrology thing in the Daily Mail. Nothing but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? It says in the Bible, it says in John chapter 6, the most beautiful verses, I am the bread of life, said Jesus. I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever, ever be hungry. And no one who comes to me will ever be thirsty again. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy your soul. And I know statistically, this is not me being prophetic, I know statistically there will be people sitting here and your love has grown cold. Or you're struggling with it. I know that. There is, I believe, a spark of God within all of us. Calvin said this, that, that there's, a, there's something in us that, that is calling out to God. But only Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can fan that into flame. Only he will satisfy. I've, you know, I'm coming up to 51 now, I'm still younger than some of you, and older than others. But you don't get this far through life without encountering pain. I've been through some terrible rubble in the years I've not been here. Like brutal pain. Indescribable at times. Horrible. And my closest mate in all the world last week was diagnosed with motor neurone disease. That I've been praying with in a prayer triplet for, for years, every month, and talk three times a week, part of my life. But I'll still stand in now and say, only Jesus Christ will make sense of it all. Only the gospel. I'll tell you one more little thing. A few months ago, it was actually in April, I woke up one morning and I thought, I know what I need to do. I need to buy a whiteboard. And I did on Amazon. We've got one bank account, me and Karen. I bought a, I bought a whiteboard, an eraser and a set of pens. Karen went, what have you done? 64 quid. I went, well, I, th- I don't know. I said, I'm praying, I felt I needed it. She said, you never write anything down. I went, I know. I said, so I've set it in my garden office, because I've got a little house on this estate, I've put a garden office in, it's a rectangular office, and i put the whiteboard, still wrapped up next to a little small chair, I've got a Facebook marketplace in my little office. Long story short, there's a bloke up the road, who I met because we run all sorts of interventions and projects around the country, in our headquarters we do alcohol and drug rehab, housing benefits, debt help, education programs, we're setting up schools, community gardens and free restaurants in the winter and all sorts of stuff. And this bloke had come down to get some help with a couple of bits, his war, military pension. Turned out he was in the parachute regiment, 32 years, been blown up a few times, shot a couple of times. He's a proper liability actually, I don't stand too close to him these days. But he had, he was, he was a sergeant major, he'd fought in every major conflict that the British Army had been involved in. He was a sniper and a pathfinder, sort of top-tier, near-SAS-type soldier, and, and had severe combat PTSD. He's sleeping on the floor, um, stressed out, nauseous every morning. He'd come down for some help. We made to help him for our projects, sort his war pension out that wasn't paying out properly. Over a period of a few weeks, I got to know him, so I invited him on the road with me. I said, look, you need to get up in the morning Monday, come with me. I'm going to go and preach the message of Jesus. you get to hear it at a church in Buckinghamshire. Then I'm going to go and watch some mates who are mixed martial artists, and they're Christians too, in Maidstone. And he said, oh, that sounds good. So I dragged him out. On retrospect, I thought, not good to show Kung Fu to a bloke with combat PTSD. But anyway, we, uh, we did go out on the road, and he heard me preach, and 
we, we met some mates of mine down in Maidstone in Kent and then we came back one o'clock in the morning, I dropped him off and I went home and went to bed. Eight o'clock in the morning he sent me a text. He'd never been around my house. A very, very closed-in guy. Couldn't, couldn't lift his head up, didn't look, you know, I spent most of the day with me crying. Really, really traumatised, like really traumatised. He'd watched his best mate get blown up in a Kajeki minefield and couldn't save him. He was part of a rescue team that couldn't save his mate, so he had huge survivor guilt and shame. He said, I've got to come and see you. I had a dream. I said, oh, yeah, come over. I put the coffee on. He said, he said, he's standing in my kitchen. He can't really look at me. He said, I had a strange dream last night. I said, what was it? He said, I had a dream. There's a whiteboard standing next to a small chair in a rectangular room. I said, really? He said, yeah, and there was three things written on it. I said, what's that? He said, airborne soldier, identity and injustice. I said, that's astonishing. Come and grab your coffee, come with me. And I led him down to the end of my garden. I've got a rectangular office with a whiteboard standing next to a small chair. I won't tell you exactly what he said, but he nearly dropped his coffee and did uh, say something remarkable. And, um, <laughs> and so we unwrapped the whiteboard and, and the cellophane, I mean, it's all totally unused. And he wrote, airborne soldier, identity and injustice on the whiteboard. And then we spoke for two hours, about the nature of the cross, about the power of Jesus, how he's the bread of life. We talked about the prophecies of Jesus. We went through it for two hours. And he said to me, I always thought Jesus died for mankind. I went, no, Jesus died for you, Sean. He didn't just die generically for mankind, he died for you. Then I've got lovely bluebell woods outside my house. It was April the 25th. And um, I remember it well, so I've got photos of all of this as well. It's April the 25th and the bluebells are out. It's a bit of a word that the druggies use, so you can come back from walking woods feeling great for some reason. So anyway, we, we were walking the Blue Woods, and after an hour's walk and two hours chat, we found ourselves holding hands. Me and his ex-power. And he gave his life to Jesus. And as he gave his life to Jesus, he looked at me in the eye for the first time with tears streaming down his eyes. Do you know what he said to me? Beachy, he said. I can hear birds singing. I said, what do you mean? He said, since 2006, when I saw my mate get blown up, I've not been able to hear the bird song. I can hear the birds singing again. Wow, I thought. And so we went back to my house and sat back in my room. And he, without any instruction, got the new board hover. And it was the first and only time it's ever been used because I've not used this whiteboard since. It's still standing there in my office with this written on it. He wiped it clean and he wrote, Sean Partridge, son of God, father and friend. How about that? I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life, said Jesus. You come to me, you'll never be hungry and thirsty again. It is the cause of our lives, especially now, when people are wrestling and struggling to make sense of it all. Only Jesus Christ. Only the Gospel. And let me tell you this, and this is not to capture a moment, but when we hear as churches stories of people giving their lives to Christ, whether dramatic or ordinary, there should be an almighty cheer go up in God's house. Like, come on, how beautiful is this? 
hell plundered, heaven populated, and lives transformed. And not just for the future, but life to the full now. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes your life now and where you are 10,000 years from now. How about that? So I might not have been here for 15 years, but I tell you what, when we die, and you will, it will be like the blink of an eye, and I will appear behind you in a check shirt, only me, and you'll go, oh no, here he is again. Only the gospel. We will one day die, and we will go home, and we will go home together. But let's make sure that there are more people from Billericay. The annoying person in the shop, the person at the school gate, the person who blocked your car in, in the car park. Let, let's, let's, let's plunder hell. And let's live for Jesus. No matter who you are, what stage of life you're at, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me ever be thirsty again and God I pray that would so affect our behaviour we are the merchants of hope the the dealers in life the the messengers of joy and God may that be so true of us as we come to break bread now Jesus stir our hearts again with a love for you build our passion and our faith Convict us, God, of where our love for you has grown cold. Fill us with your joy. And and enable us again to to grasp the sheer miracle of what it meant when you grabbed a bit of bread and said, this is my body broken for you. How amazing is Jesus, everybody? How amazing is he that he would do that and provide us with such an incredible symbol? This is my body given for you. I don't think the disciples really quite grasped what was going on, the totality of it. And sometimes I don't think I do. Jesus has totally changed my life. I can honestly say, if it wasn't for the gospel, and even in recent events in my life, intervening, I would not be here sharing this today with you. So when we take this in a moment, if the servers would like to come forward, I believe we've got some appointed servers, they start to distribute this. As we take this, when you get your cup and the bread, eat the bread as you receive it and then hold the cup. But as you take this, remember, Jesus died for you and didn't just stay dead, but rose again after three days. And we now are now people of resurrection power, actually. We could be knocked down, but never knocked out. I hope you believe that too, no matter what you're facing, because the power of Jesus is working in us.